Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is show number 108 and my name's Aid, and it is Monday evening, a standard recording night, a little bit later than usual because I've been out, uh, which means that the uh, it's a good job. It's a good job that we have some stuff to share with you that was uh, slightly manufactured earlier, but more on that in a minute. First off, Rach, how are you doing? Oh, hey, Aid. Yes, I'm I'm pretty sleepy. So apologies if if I do start to do the, the whole yawning thing. Uh, I have got my tea here to try and keep me um, sustained through through the rest of the recording. And um, apparently, uh, Graham said that I, I used up all my sparkle on uh, on somebody else's podcast this week. So he's very upset with me. <laughs> well, that's the end. And, and if, if that's true, so should we all be. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure it's I'm not here. true. I'm here. I'm in the room. Excellent. Hey. That's a good. That's a good start. That's a good. That's a good start. All right. So, well, let, let, let's try His Majesty then. Graham, how are you, buddy? I'm all good, thank you, Aid. Yeah, it's a bit cooler today, which has been quite nice because it has been hot as tennis balls these last few days. Um, yep, yeah, I'm a bit disgusted with Rachel. Uh, she cheated on us. She's been sleeping with another podcast. It's not okay, especially when the podcast she's been cheating us with is that slut negative positives um i am outraged mostly i'm outraged because how dare they have you on without having me on that's okay um it was it was five o'clock in the afternoon graham and you were already drinking and what time what time was it in the states because i think it was about nine o'clock in the morning and mike was already drinking really (laughs) no it was nine o'clock in the morning for andre but it was actually about midday for mike Oh, we're in two, two different time zones, so uh, yeah. Cheeky one at lunchtime isn't too bad, exactly. is it? It was, a, it was a, che- a cheeky bottle at lunchtime. A cheeky bottle at lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, I'm not sure. I wouldn't like it... to speak for Mike, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. It depends on what's in the bottle, I suppose, but there we go. Uh, less said, um, the better, probably. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, talking about um, people cheating on us on uh, other slut podcasts, what have we got in store this week, Aid? Oh, well, to this week, I'm pretty sure it's going to be our best guest ever. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yep, yeah, I see why you're yawning now, Rach. So, so yeah, so so the lucky listeners of Sunny Sixteen podcast get a double dose of me today, which is um, is something I'm sure we can all get behind. <laughs> Always a treat, Aid. Always a treat. I know. Uh, in in all seriousness, <laughs> um, uh, actually, uh, what we're going to do uh, today is we are we are going to do a, a crossover podcast. Um, we are going to uh, put into here into the first segment of sunny 16 this week uh, a show from my other podcast the future of photography and quickly before everybody all turns off <laughs> it is about analog photography it's not oh, it's about analog and a digital but it's definitely a whole slug of analog in there so uh, we thought this would be a good one uh, a good topic from the future of photography to share with the sunny 16 listeners uh, so it'll be me of course and uh, my uh, partner in crime for that show chris marquart uh, and it's a show that uh, as you get this sunny 16 on a thursday morning it's the future of photography that would have been released yesterday morning because uh, that show goes out on wednesdays so uh, if you happen to be a future photography listener sorry <laughs> <laughs> 
just skip in a general. little half hour. Yes, sorry. <laughs> yes, but that is not the entire. That's a good point, Rach. That is not the entirety of our Sunny Sixteen show this week. Uh, we will be uh, we'll back with more after, after the break, as it were. Um, to, to, I don't think I need any uh, introduction, um, but just a quick reminder uh, of Chris. Um, Chris Marquardt, uh, who is a guest on the show, is the co-author of the Film Photography Handbook. He runs his own analogue podcast uh, every week or so, uh, although unfortunately, well, unfortunately for us, <laughs> not so unfortunately for him, it's in German. Um, it's called Absolute Analogue. And he also does a lot of workshops with large format photography and darkroom work and stuff like that. So although he's probably more famous for uh, digital stuff, he certainly gets his hands dirty with the in the analogue world as well. Did I do all that without breathing? It sounds like it. <laughs> you did pretty well, Aid. Well done. <laughs> I didn't mean is, to. It's more amateurism it, than anything else. Has it been because you've been out playing tennis, so you've been concentrating and, and you stop? You you know you stop breathing. I don't know. Maybe you don't stop breathing, but when I'm playing the violin, I often stop breathing because I've, I'm concentrating so hard on what I'm doing that I forget uh, and then yeah. go. <gasps> Do they you know, do you then fall over? Because the thing about you know, aerobic sport is that if you don't breathe, you don't get any oxygen into your muscles, and then you fall yeah. over <laughs> quite yeah. quickly. Let's only play very short pieces on the violin. <laughs> to be fair, it's also or quite metal difficult violin. playing, a, playing a, an instrument like that, and uh, and there have been definitely been some slightly um, pass out moments. Um, yeah, I okay. stop breathing when I'm playing the clarinet. I've never got very far with it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can see why that might be a problem. Okay, all right, excellent. Good. Well, now we've all proven what consummate musicians and sportsmen and women <laughs> we are. <laughs> Shall we go on and, uh, and and link into the Future of Photography show? Anybody Sounds ready? Very good idea. Everybody get ready for the um, funky modern music. Beep, 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 it's got a good like eight. That, it's it? got a good eight bit feel to it. Actually, the music is um, from Chris's brother. Chris's brother is a musician, uh, and uh, the music was by him. Um, so uh, yes, there's a family link there too. But okay, so here we go. As we do when we start the we hit the record button on Sunny Sixteen, we will say three, two, one. The future of photography. Hey Chris, how you doing, mate? I'm doing really good today. Good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it because I've got something to to challenge our thinking today. Oh. Um, and uh, we, you know, no, no, none of this just discussing things. We've got to come out with strong opinions. We've got to make some judgments, and we're, and, uh, we're going to have to stand by them as the internet judges us. <laughs> and and do a lot of speculation here. Well, that's what we do, isn't it? That's what we do. That's the joy of looking to the future, isn't it? The only thing you've got to watch out is not be too precious when you're wrong all the time. But, I can, I yeah. can only... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dreading the moment when in several years uh, the people are going to bring back our old episodes. But you said, but you said... Yeah, yeah, that, it, it's it. It, uh, it always scares me when that happens. Uh, <laughs> over on the, the Sunny Sixteen podcast, uh, my film photography podcast, we we get listeners who who contact us and say, "I'm working my way through from show number one." <laughs> Do you change your opinion? How dare you? <laughs> No, to be fair, most of that, well, not most of them, all of them have been have been very kind about it. But <laughs> yeah, when I listen back to those early shows, oh dear, I oh dear, I oh dear. But uh, and those those are long shows as well. You know, it's not like a nice little neat package like a Future of Photography podcast. Sunny Sixteen is usually an hour and a half every week, so there's a <laughs> lot know. of back catalogue to listen to. 
<laughs> anyway, sorry, that is not the point of today's show. The point of t- so um, uh, I'm going to set the scene for you. Then, then, then I'll set the question for us to answer today. Of course. Um, a while back, uh, early this year, early in 2018, um, Hasselblad announced a new camera. Uh, okay, yep, this I've is seen this. As, as they do occasionally, um, uh, and uh, I, I believe it's called the H6D MultiShot. But the reason I'm mentioning it is that it's got 400 megapixels. 400. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's 10 times or ne- nearly 10 times some of the highest resolution pro level DSLRs of today. Um, it is so- massive, yeah. It's massive, and it's and of course it's massively expensive. Um, uh, that might come back. We'll come back and talk about that in a bit. Um, slightly more recently, um, mid twenty eighteen, uh, Fujifilm announced a new camera, the Instax SQ six, mm-hmm. which is their first totally analog camera that shoots their relatively new square format instant film. Is that a, okay. is that the square format they got in trouble with Polaroid with uh, over? It, it, it I is, think it yes, is, right? It is. Because <laughs> yeah, it looks I'm like the old sh- Polaroid frames. Yeah, I haven't followed that story, actually. I hope Polaroid back away from that because I don't think Polaroid is in a position to spend the amount of money it would take to make that stick. But there you go. <laughs> I, I think Fuji is Fuji is better. Uh, isn't a better shape in this concern, yeah. Yes, yes. So... Okay, so, yeah, Instax SQ6, um, as with all Instax products, um, it's selling like hotcakes. Um, and uh, Instax is one of the most popular photography formats in the world today. Um, so what happens when you put those cameras in some sort of, you know, celebrity death match? You know, Matt, <laughs> you know <laughs> what happens when you pit them against each other, you know, and you try and compare and contrast them? I mean, they are wildly different beasties. <laughs> Um, uh, and more importantly for our show, can one of these photography systems claim to be more the future of photography than the other one? Oh, so which wow. is this more is the future of photography? <laughs> is it is is it the four hundred megapixel yeah. high technology yo know, um, uh, leading edge camera, or is it the uh, cheap and cheerful, lots of fun? analog camera using using imaging technology that is 50 years old at this point maybe in i don't know when fuji instax first came out that was probably the 80s but um going back with polaroid instant film a lot longer than that so how how do you how do you compare these how do you see um that one might be more the future of photography than the other one how should you and i judge this right (laughs) I, I think we can probably come come up with a whole ton of criteria and angles to look at this from. Well, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. So, so I, I I've tried to break this down, okay, mm-hmm. to give us a fighting chance of this because you know we can't just say one of them is bigger than the other, you know, <laughs> or one of them has more pixels than the other because one of them doesn't have any pixels at all. But you know, interesting, so, interesting enough, that is what happens often these days. Where you, when you go on a forum somewhere, you read about uh, X versus Y, Mac is better than PC, uh, Nikon's better than Canon, you name it. And uh, it's often reduced to just like one criterion. Yes, one criterion. So I have I have used that. So I have a little set here, and I'll I'll, I'll talk you through them, and then we can we can uh, discuss. Um, 
the first one, yes, my first criterion to judge these things is number of pixels. <laughs> I put that in a, a little tongue-in-cheek because yeah, one of them doesn't have any pixels. Well, interestingly enough, I mean, today, uh, many, many analog photos end up being pixels. They end up being digitized. So That's very true. That's when very when true. I, okay, now, now let, let me try to, to, to unfairly swap out Fuji Instax for... Uh, four by five large format for a minute here. Oh, and okay. Sure. When you take one of those negatives and you put it through a really good scanner, let's say, uh, 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 I don't know, of uh, one of these Hasselblads, for example, um, it should be easy to get four hundred megapixels or more out of a sheet of those. Now, Fuji Instax is smaller. It's not a. It's it's like you end up with a positive, so that comparison isn't isn't really fair, but. Uh, when it comes to analog versus the 400 megapixel Hasselblad, I think analog in general still has a bit of an edge there. Oh, okay. That's a, <laughs> that's fighting talk coming out on the side of analog when we include the number of pixels. <laughs> that's okay. Good examples, though. Real real world good examples. Um, the the Fuji Instax. Um, I I actually have a Fuji Instax printer, and I know and and I've looked at the specs of some of the the others as well. Um, when you print from a, a digital image from your phone or from if you if you have a Fuji camera, actually, you can talk directly to these printers. They tend to print at about 300 DPI, which tend to, tends to give you uh, an image, uh, a square image that's roughly equivalent to uh, one and a half megapixels or something like oh, that. Okay. So it's, because it's such, because it is, the, these things are small. You know, the, the image area on a Fuji Instax square is is about... Uh, is it so? It's somewhere around fifty millimeters square. No, is it's it a bit that? more than that. It's more That's like more it's more like sixty. It's nearer sixty, nearly sixty. Because I think I think a, a, a Fuji Instax Mini is almost the same size as a a six four five medium format. It's bigger. And well, okay. So here here we have it uh, on the on the website on Fuji's website for the SQ six, the Instax Square. Well, the photo, not the image area, but the photo is eighty-six by seventy-two millimeters. So yeah, I, I think it, okay, I think you're probably so right. It's it's, it's more, about it's, six by six. It's so like it's, a medium it's just, format negative, right? It's like it's like an old Hasselblad, isn't it? It's just like a, yeah, interesting. Just the, the old film Hasselblads shoot a six by six negative, don't they? So yeah. there you go. So so okay. So you say right? Okay. Well, I I think if we're going to be strictly honest i have to disallow your four by five film <laughs> okay. example i'll, I'll take that i'll take that and, and, I, and i suspect that the uh, especially when you consider the resolving power of the film itself um you'll get much more detail on a hasselblad i have to i have to concede that i have to concede that so oh, we're going to go straight true, from yeah. the 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 standard number of pixels you know uh metric that you see on every web website around the world the next the next one is going to take us in a completely different direction because the second criterion i have named societal relevance oh so you're you're bringing in the soft criteria now <laughs> already well yes yeah well yeah yeah it, the, the, this is the thing isn't it as you said yourself a few minutes ago um yeah it, it's not just about in the real world, it's not just about the 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 technology metrics, you know how how many frames per second it can shoot and <laughs> right. uh, and how many pixels it's got. That's that. So so by societal relevance, what I mean is, you know, uh, how 
how big an impact on global culture will it have? How how relevant is it to our society in the future? Well, uh, I mean, one could make the point that uh, while the Fuji Instax is, of course, in plenty more hands than the Hasselblad, um, so a lot, lot more people will actually shoot with that one than with a 400 megapixel Hasselblad. Um, possibly the photos coming out of that Hasselblad will be seen by more people because they will be used in high-profile advertising, on TV, on magazines, on um, wherever you advertise. Um, but I would then say the the Instax definitely has more relevance because it helps form habits, it helps get people to make to do um kind of links to, to our last episode the making thing uh, is going to shape a future generation so those who now shoot with an instax might later become photographers or or fondly remember their time with the instax whereas i think most people shooting with a hasselblad do this as a kind of a, a as a professional endeavor Yes, yes. Although your, I, I, your point is well made about the impact of the images coming from the Hasselblad. It's an indirect impact on culture. But right. you're right. A lot of the images that we see will have been shot on these very high-end cameras. Um, well, the question maybe is, less is so that now really than true? it was 20 years ago. But the, the question is, is that really true? Because we have also seen photographers be... Um, uh, sh shoot really high-profile advertising with cheap cameras, just as a to make a point. To make a that. point, yes, and and a lot of the influencers, in the imagery influencers these days, hang out on Instagram, don't they, and shoot with their phones and things like that. So, it is, it is, it's an interesting. I think, I think, um, from my own point of view, I, I think that the Fuji has more relevance in society. Um, do you know uh, and and it worked at a number of levels you know it's it's fun um i mean you and i have talked about this before but that i very rarely do you see a more fun impact of the images that you take than actually handing somebody an instant film and and helping them to yeah you know, just telling them not to shake it <laughs> and and uh and watching the smiles on their faces as the image appears in front of them and that works on all generations yeah you know, whether it's people who remember what these things did in the past or people who've never seen anything other than digital images you know that that works hugely and as you said yourself as well the the number of uh, the number of cameras you know out there of course you know you're always going to have a, only a very uh, small number of units sales if your unit price is you know sixty thousand us dollars <laughs> yep. but uh the uh, nonetheless um uh, i i don't know i think you can go either way depending on how you, whether you consider the impact of the camera itself or the impact of the images the camera takes but i think in if it's in terms of the cameras if we are if we're going head to head on the cameras i i, I think i come down on the side of the instax for this oh clearly I think. clearly <laughs> okay so that that well what do we um uh, this was not supposed to be the, these these criteria are not supposed to be in order to give us a draw but at, at the moment it's um <laughs> as as we ponder the future today of the german soccer team in um, the red corner ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> uh it's, it's, it's maybe maybe one each uh, at the moment uh <laughs> if we let the hasselblad win on pixels so the third one uh yeah is oh dear we yeah, it's going to go worse for the hasselblad i think without without too many spoilers the third one is cost <laughs> Wait, wait, aren't higher numbers better? Haven't we seen that with megapixels? 
Ah, good point. So, so, more, so you know, you know there, there will be photographers out there who will not shoot a camera unless it's at least such and such, you know. Well, minimum price. Uh, to them, to them, I would say that to take the advice of the famous photographer, whose name I always forget, who said, "If you want to take more interesting pictures, point your camera at more interesting things." <laughs> Very true. So, cost-wise, um, I think so, so. Yes. So here we go. I'm going to go a little bit geeky on you now. Um, oh. As part of my professional life, um, years ago, I had a business partner who was a professor at the London School of Economics, and Ooh. he was a professor in the field of decision scientists. And uh, one of the things that he always said was the fundamental property of, of a good decision criterion is that it must have a direction of preference. So okay. is your direction of preference for cost to go upwards or is your direction of preference to go downwards? Because that does impact how we assess these things. Oh, my, my preference is clearly to make this as democratic as possible, to get cameras in as many people's hands as possible. So cost must come down. Okay, I agree completely. Yep. Um, uh, and so I think it's a pretty clear differentiation, maybe by two or three orders of magnitude. <laughs> Actually, how many would it be if you pay, if you paid a hundred dollars for let's a see Fuji film? Then one order of magnitude would be a thousand. Two orders of magnitude would be ten thousand. So it's at least two orders of magnitude between the Hasselblad. A Fuji. We're talking about fifty thousand dollars for for the uh, for the really high megapixel count ones. You are yeah. This Hasselblad, is not one of your entry level Hasselblads, which you can get for a mere ten grand. You know. <laughs> so yeah, at least at least two orders of magnitude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So, we're, so, so we have a, we have a clear win, a clear winner on cost there. And and let, let's be fair to the Hasselblad. You do have to buy film for the Fuji. Um, but you can buy a lot of film until you reach fifty thousand <laughs> yeah. for sure. I I think yeah. Um, uh, I think you could even buy quite a lot of large format film before you reach fifty thousand dollars. But uh, so so I think uh, yeah. The, in terms of total cost of ownership, um, I think the Fuji camera wins. And you can clearly. afford to give away the photos even and the Fuji. And yes. uh, the, the the issue I always have about giving away uh, the Instax photos is not it's not the cost of it because they're not that massively expensive per shot. Um, it's the psychology of, but that's my photo. It's got to go in my collection. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So if I give it to you, I won't have that photo anymore. <laughs> well, Fuji has a solution for that because there is an Instax camera that uh, is digital. So it shoots digitally and then it has a Instax printer built in so you can print the pictures out, give them to someone while keeping them. Yeah, uh, uh, yes. Um, good, good little tool uh, uh, that. Um, and of course, they, they have the, the printers, the Instax printers as well, which yeah. I have one of. And, and that's... Uh, we were talking uh, just a couple of shows ago about Fuji cameras, which I happen to use. Mm-hmm. And I always think it's fantastic that I can use with just with my Fuji camera and I can pop the little printer in my camera bag and it's only small and it's battery powered. And I can just press the print button. I can view the pictures on the screen on my camera, press the print button, and it pops out of the printer on a, I think it's a Wi-Fi connection. Um, and uh, uh, that's, uh, people love to see that as well. So mm-hmm. that is a way you can you can use the Instax and keep the photo. Um, but it's, uh, yes, uh, it always is one, of, it's a strange moment when you take a really good shot of somebody on an Instax film and, and you have to give it to them. <laughs> but I like that one. That was actually a good photo. I took it's that. A, I don't it's a bit it. like giving your baby away, right? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, how it hurts. 
<laughs> yeah, it is a little bit. It is a little bit. Okay, all right. So let's move on then. Um, uh, this might be uh, an easy one as well. Um, criteria. Excuse me. Criterion number four is market penetration. Do, what is do, the market do I, do penetration sense, of the Hasselblad do, versus the do, Fuji? Do I sense a little, a, a bit of a bias in choosing the criteria here? Because so far, the, the Fuji is pretty far ahead of the Hasselblad. Well, no, it's only 2-1. It's only 2-1 to Fuji. So, oh, okay, so okay. It's, 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 no, I think I, I, try, I, I genuinely try to be balanced, although I have a Fuji Instax camera, a couple of them, actually, and I don't have a Hasselblad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, market penetration. Um, I think it goes hand in hand with the cost, right? It If it's... If it's cheaper, it will have a bigger penetration for sure. More people will have them. Yes. And whilst we're talking about the future of photography, actually, you know, more units around in, now means more units around in the future as well. And and it means uh, possibly a stronger and more robust business model uh, to, to grow from. So, you know, if you had to pick which one would be around in the future and you could only choose one of them, would it be the Instax or would it be the Hasselblad? It's difficult to tell. Hasselblad go through varied economic fortunes, don't they, over the years. I think they uh, they were acquired by somebody else uh, a short while ago um, uh, and that's changed, I think, their financial situations. But hey. Looking looking into the future and com and comparing like a, an analog and a digital format is really difficult. It's really difficult because, as you said, they might not be around, um, which doesn't mean the cameras wouldn't work anymore, but then uh, for Instax, film might not be around. So it's a it's an important question to ask, of course. The, mm, the whole archiving things comes into that as well. So, yeah. Uh, well, that's a, good that's a good segue to criteria number five, which is longevity of images, which I think could genuinely go either way. I've uh, I I know an archivist. Is that a word? Okay. Archivist, the person yeah, yeah, yep. who archives things, works for museums, and they have, of course, everything from old stone things with stuff carved into them up to uh, microfilm to digital and all of these different media have their problems when it comes to long, long, long longevity. Um, digital, you, you have to keep the format, you have to keep it in a format that is readable. You have to keep it on media that are readable in the future. Yeah, I hear, I hear a lot of horror stories about what's the future of, of, of digital images. Um, I don't, I, I don't subscribe to some of the doom scenarios because you know, it, the, yes, okay, if you, in the future, technology might not be able to read a JPEG, but when JPEG gets replaced, it will get replaced slowly and there will be conversion tools. And, you know, as, as long as, the, as long as all the computers in the world don't die at once, I suspect images that are JPEGs now will probably survive for a, for a very, very long time indeed. Oh, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, however, we are also talking about media. Um, I remember when I when I used to work in the computer industry, uh, a client came back with an old support contract, um, and I we had to dig out old tape based storage machines to to be able to read their software, and it was not easy. So 
as I think as long as a, there's a good process in place to keep things up to date and to renew stuff, to copy it to different media, to make sure to test that the formats are still uh, still usable, um, I'm not really worried about that uh, myself. But it is definitely something to to think about. I've had I've had old stuff, um, old recordings and stuff that I did when I worked for the in the music industry, and uh, it some of these old formats are not readable anymore because the software doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So 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 if if things become economically not viable to support, then mm. yes, for for the vast majority of people who are shooting very standard formats of image. I'm reasonably confident. Um, I'm also reasonably confident that an individual Instax image will hang around for a long time. Um, Are you? uh, I am. Um, But, you know, yeah, I am. I mean, as a a film format... Okay, when you say long time, what do you mean with long time? Well, so that's... (laughs) Are we talking 20 years? Are we talking 200 years? Uh, certainly twenty years. I think. I mean, okay, if you put 20? something, if you put something in the, if you put something in the sunshine, it'll fade, won't it? Right. So, so. But if you keep your, uh, if you keep your photographs in, uh, in a shady area, or, or as many people do in one of the, in one of those cardboard boxes we were talking about mm-hmm. just last week. Um, there you go. There's a use for your old Amazon box. You don't need to be a maker. You could just store photos in it. And, and exactly, that would exactly be the kind of box that I would never store photos in because you never know what they put in the cardboard. Mm-hmm. No, it's, so those are not archive quality. You're right. So, so uh, yeah, I think um, it, it, I think, but it, Again, you, you, you've got to bring up the whole thing about support. If you do it properly, there's a chance that these things can last a long time, isn't there? Do I think that they'll last hundreds of years? Um, uh, no, but do I think that there is culturally significant enough stuff being shot on these on these formats? Don't know. That's an interesting, wasn't it? If you look at the uh, the Andreas Gursky Polaroids, or if, if I've pronounced that correctly, or the Andy Warhol Polaroids, some of the Warhol stuff must be 40 years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, the two enemies yeah. of, of of film uh, film photography, long longevity, and that one is um, UV, and the other is ozone. So you have the the light being <laughs> being a bit of an enemy of photography in the long term, and uh, just <laughs> there's, a, there's an irony in there somewhere. There is, there is <laughs> very much, and then you have uh, pollutants in the air that uh, eat away on on the colors and on the contrasts. And uh, that's that's how, for example, printer manufacturers test their combinations of inks and papers um, for longevity. They have they have these chambers that are filled with ozone, and they have chambers that are uh, full with like very strong UV lights to to simulate a faster aging. And uh, which means, yeah, as long as you keep that thing in a in a cardboard box somewhere out of away from the light and away from from air. Um, that stuff should last a very long time. Hmm. It's interesting, is it? I don't know. I, I think properly cared for, a digital image and an analog image can both last for a long time. I would think so too, yeah. Um, left to their own devices, I'd probably say the digital one would last longer because the the there is such a variety of formats and there's such a, a, a number of tools that convert between huh? formats that I suspect that 
a good photo will endure for for some while. We'll we'll talk again in a hundred years, um, <laughs> because because one of the things is maybe in the future we will not even think in pixels anymore, in megapixels anymore. Maybe that that'll just go away and be replaced by something else. And uh, if you look back at some video from the eighties, it's hard to watch because of the low resolution these days. So. Maybe they survive, but maybe we won't want to look at them anymore because they are so horribly two-dimensional, so so old, <laughs> you know? Point. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, all right. Well, there we go. So I think... I, I think we have a draw in this point. I think we have a draw, but I, I don't know. I, I may be inclined to give it to the digital one. I don't I don't know. The um, uh, Okay, so, the, the, so I've come to my... This next one is the last on my list, but I'm happy if you would like to add some. This one is absolutely <laughs> undeniably biased, right? <laughs> this, this last criterion is, do I make people smile? And... It depends on the people. Depends yeah. On the so no. So so if somebody gave me a four hundred megapixel Hasselblad to play with, oh, I would, would smile. smile. <laughs> I would smile definitely. <laughs> I would try not to jump around for joy though, for fear of dropping it. But <laughs> but I've but I've seen I've seen uh, photographers hand out a Fuji Instax photo to a worker in a Bhutanese rice field. And you've seen <laughs> well, that too. I was there that day. You were yeah. there that day, and uh, that was genuine happiness that we saw there people workers being in awe of them having that photo in their hand and showing it around and uh that is undeniably going to be a, a treasure for them being up on the wall somewhere so yes, uh, I, yes. for, for me and, and, for and, me and... from an emotional point of view instax clearly wins this one yeah, I think so. As I say, this is unashamedly biased. You know, I just want to drink because that's part of what I'm trying to do here with this whole theme for for this week is to is to challenge the the uh, the perception that actually the future of photography is all about you know uh, more more technology and more refinements to existing technology and bigger numbers. And yeah, there's it's an easy an easy assumption to to run with because that's how a lot of the media runs with it. What I wanted to do was just have a bit of a hit the reset button, say, do you know what? It's not just about the technology. There are some well established technologies here that have a massive impact on the world of photography and have an absolute place in the future of photography as well. And uh, I'm a hundred percent with you, and I uh, thank you for challenging that a bit. <laughs> and you know. If I was to go out and buy a camera, um, it would be much more likely to be the new Fuji than it would be the new Hasselblad. <laughs> Some of those criteria for me are barriers, you know, barriers to entry. <laughs> mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, fifty thousand for a camera? Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why? Why would I? Yeah. Why would I not buy that with that money <laughs> if I had it rather than you know uh, pay off all my family's debts and stuff like that? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, there we go. A little bit of challenge there to the status quo uh, and a little bit of challenge to what the future of photography really looks like. Awesome. So episode 36 of the future of photography in the can and we'll be back in a week from now. Until then, take care. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt.
subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. And we're back, and I hope you all enjoyed that. But I, I guess, uh, you know, I shouldn't really comment on my own show, should I? So, so maybe, uh, Rach, what did you think of that? Oh, really, really awesome. The only thing that I would, I would ask was, um, I had a thought on a criteria, another oh. criteria that you didn't mention. Okay. Um, which was usability. I think that would have been a really good criteria to have considered as part of the Eurovision style scorecard <laughs> um, <laughs> countdown. Um, what, what do you think? Is that one that, that you? I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So, 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 well, how would we do that then? So, I mean, you've just heard the show. So, uh, well, not just heard the show, but everybody's just heard the show. So, uh, I mean, what we were talking about was was you know trying to compare the two. I don't know which would be more usable in your view, a Hassi or a Instax. Oh, yeah, well, this is a good question because I mean, when I think of the two people we've got on the show, we've got you, Aid, who's failed to get good pictures out of an Instax, and we've got Rachel, who's failed to make a Hasselblad even work. <laughs> it's the battle of the ages. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, all right, Mr. Smartass, what do you think is the easiest <laughs> one to use then? Well, I mean, the thing is, I have an advantage with my advanced technical knowledge of all things. So, I mean, I'm sure I would find a Hasselblad much easier to use. It only wants to give me one. Um, no, it's interesting. <laughs> when you said what this thing was, I was like, hang on, you're comparing an Instax with a Hasselblad. That seemed like an odd, an odd comparison, but it was an interesting conversation. Um, and yeah, the whole usability thing, I definitely think it falls in there. I wonder, does that fall into the, um, the societal impact as well? Because if something yeah. is very high tech and uh, fancy, um, then maybe more people... Well, you know, uh, we we off air we're chatting briefly about particle accelerators. I mean, I have very little experience with them because they're above my pay grade as a gardener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. All right, right. Well, Rach, well, this, what, what do you reckon yeah. about the usability then, Rach? I mean, you've got a Hassi and you've got Fuji and Stack, so there you well, go. This, this is this is true, um, and I can't get either of them to work. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, so give me another two cameras instead. Yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm only joking. I just I thought the idea of usability is something that um, is worth considering because usability. You, you said, oh, which one's easier to use? But it's not necessarily about which is easier to use, is it? Sometimes it's about actually um, which is you know the usability of of it might be that you have a lot more manual options in which case perhaps obviously Hasselblad would gi would give you that option as opposed to the Instax but then if you look at usability in terms of ease of use then I would imagine the Instax would win so <laughs> it I, does I just thought it would be a useful uh, a useful sort of criteria to add to that as well. Uh, that is a really interesting because like a lot of the stuff in in the show uh, you could argue both ways you could mm -hmm. you could because uh, I, I would say you know usability well part of usability may about may be about accessibility and certainly Absolutely. the Instax cameras are more accessible. Uh, partly it could be about learning curve. And it's it's hard to deny that digital has the edge over analog when you're talking about learning curve. Right. The, the instant feedback is, is kind of a game changer. Um, but, you know, how often do you get to use a Hasselblad? Does, any, you know, does anybody know anybody that's got a, a digital Hasselblad? 
No, I don't. I, I saw one once. <laughs> In a magazine, was um, it? Yes. It was at the photography show last year, actually. And, uh, and, and I was so upset that they were using the plastic, shall we say, in inverted commas, Hasselblad, to point at this beautiful old Hasselblad that was sitting there in an old vintage suitcase and I was like why is nobody after that one that's what I want to take away with me um and they all looked at me like I was mad but um but never mind so that's the only thing I've I've seen was this was a chunk of plastic Hasselblad (laughs) the digital uh, Uh, fair enough so so can you describe for me then this whole Eurovision thing that you mentioned a few minutes ago (laughs) oh Oh, yeah just that you you uh, said right. So I've got um, an idea of it being a death match, with it being compare and contrast. Yes. Um, and that you had you'd come up with a criteria, um, sort of like score sheet. So I was thinking it it felt a little bit like maybe like Eurovision. You know, where you yeah. have your different categories and you give them marks out of ten for each, and that would be how you were how you were going to sort I of. So um, so I don't think I've watched Eurovision since I was a child, but oh. so, so I don't really know what a, a, a you know. Uh, a 20 well, teams. Rachel, Rachel will explain to us what the categories in Eurovision are, <laughs> won't you, Rachel? <laughs> oh, yeah, I have them right here next to me in a big list. I think, I think they're costumes, Belgium, they're and <laughs> teapots. <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, just, just trying to bring this conversation back on track slightly. Um, the idea of usability, I was thinking, could also um, uh, be be sort of judged by uh, taking a camera out on location, you know, and how usable it is within lots of different circumstances yeah. and different environments yeah, and things like that as well. What I wondered, right, because um, I was listening, a lot of it made me think, like, you, you, you were discussing what was going to be the thing that was going to have the biggest impact going forward. And I thought, well good way to think about what's happened in the future is to look what's happened in the past and with a couple of categories in particular i thought it'd be really interesting to actually look at maybe slightly broader than instax and hasselblad but like the hasselblad and similar ilk cameras and instant cameras particularly with things like um societal impact and um longevity longevity of image and stuff like that because i think we can actually look at that and have a conversation like okay what did have a bigger societal impact? Cameras like the Hasselblad or Polaroid and other instant cameras. What are your thoughts on that? Well, well, yeah. So societal impact, volume is a one way of having an impact, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I suspect more people have shot Polaroid or or instant film in general than have shot Hasselblad. Especially including the, me especially the digital <laughs> ones yeah yeah especially the digital <laughs> ones um uh so but uh, yeah it 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 is it is interesting isn't it because you know for, for uh, I, and i don't know if it is it is true any longer but you know a hasselblad was one of the uh yeah was the type of camera that shot most of the advertising and stuff that you would see around the whole of the world um it's i don't not... i don't think that's true anymore to the same extent is it now that it's digital no. but no, but the thing is, one thing, something I got, and I got it for my birthday, actually, is um, I got a book of photographs of the moon. And these were the pictures that they took when they were still going to and from the moon. And almost all of those amazing pictures are were shot with a Hasselblad, because that's what the space program was using. Yeah, no, so, no, like, yes, absolutely. so we've got these pictures that, like, 
still only really exist because of the Haskell. I mean, and these, those images are, are hugely important because they were a, a view of this alien landscape we nobody had ever seen before. So that's a really good point. And that is so, so it is, yes, it's what you point your camera at that's important sometimes. So I think, again, I think, you know, it's, it's, wow if you're talking about society in general yeah if you're talking about society in general perhaps it is more um for let's say like something like the Hasselblad as uh, you know film camera as you were talking about um Graham but perhaps on a personal level if you're talking about it on you know sort of um for those sort of intimate and sort of family moments and holidays and all of those sort of very um personal sort of memories and things then it's going to be things more like the instax more like the polaroid of oh because those are the those are the images that people have on their walls in the in their albums still you know that they do still use and love and 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 look at you know Mm. it's um so in some ways it feels almost like sort of short term versus long term i think short term um instant film is so important because it brings people so much joy on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and i mean and also there are you know cultural things around it you mentioned in the program made about um andy warhol and his work you know and a lot of other people although he's certainly the most noted have created a lot of incredible art and different movements with this and it's you know it's a very important part of that um but that's more transient whereas some of the work shot on the the bigger heavier duty cameras like like the Hasselblad and like the other big stuff um it is stuff which i think in hundreds of years time will be more important i was listening to an, a recent episode of um studio c41 and they had a chap on there who i can't remember the guy's name um but he's the chap who is um he got what what they were calling the Ansel Adams job going around shooting all the national monuments and oh, doing things yeah. like that. And, you know, and he's doing that for records keepings for generations to come, you know, like the, the um, it's very important to capture these images in the best way possible to get as much detail as possible for records, for libraries or stuff like this. And so, you know, it's stuff that's really important for a long time. Um, I was thinking when you were talking about uh, the longevity of the image and you were discussing more well, different file formats, blah, blah, blah. I think, yeah, well, what if, you know, the future continues in the way that it looks like it's going to go? And actually what we're thinking about is, well, when society rises from the crumbling ashes again in about 100 years' time, when they're picking through a Mad Max-style environment, what's more <laughs> likely to be useful? At that point, digital images are going to be no use whatsoever because there won't be electricity anymore. Um but, you know, some of the instant pictures may have survived the uh, nuclear apocalypse. Um, so. <laughs> well, OK, there's there's a there's a positive outlook then. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I so I'm, I, I'm I'm hearing you argue mostly for the digital camera here, Graham, I have to say. Well, not so much the digital, but just in terms of, um, like I said, looking back more to what's been before, just like the fact that the pictures that a camera that costs that much money <laughs> is likely to be shooting you would imagine i, I mean I, I don't think people are, i mean i could be completely wrong uh, people may well be using them for shooting adverts and stuff like that but I imagine also they're going to have quite a lot of use in people shooting them for things where they need as they did with the moon missions this incredible image quality for you know scientific reasons or whatever it may be and so 
they may be very important in that sense going forward. Um, but you mean they're not we... taking them on holiday with them? <laughs> no, I, I wonder if anybody has ever done a selfie with a 60 grand. Hell <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm sure, sure they are. are. Yeah. And, and let's, let, let's remember that like you know, a digital Hasselblad at however many tens of thousands of dollars actually is still cheaper than some of the movie cameras that you can buy. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it is, uh, there, there are plenty of expensive cameras out there, but are they yeah it's i mean for me i guess you're right i guess the digital possibly or at least a camera that 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 comes with that kind of a price tag is more likely to be pointed at something that is culturally significant yeah yeah i think that's my and i suppose and, and with that in something you would i mean digital archiving is just is just a worry because as i said it's not about whether the file formats move along. It's whether there's a massive EMP and everything's wiped out and then electricity goes away. <laughs> that's, where, that's where we're at now. So, yeah, but the point, um, yeah, but but what happened to your photographs of flowers is going to be less of an issue at that point than food and water. So I don't suppose yeah, you'll miss exactly. them much. You'll be busy if you but, if you manage to survive general, that. You'll be busy my, my, trying my, to eat. No, that's how I'll be making my fortune is with my pictures of flowers. People will be wanting to buy them so they can see these. This is what a flower looked like. But no, I think with the um, with the general archiving, I think if you think, well, okay, pictures that most of us are taking with instant kind of almost have the shortest shelf life of all, not just because of their archival capabilities, but because, you know, they're fun things and we'll stick them to fridges and we'll stick them here and they'll, they'll just kind of get a bit trashed or they'll go in a shoebox or something and we're not taking super great care of most of these pictures they're not getting properly stored away in a safe way whereas if somebody's taking pictures with a, an expensive camera they're, they're paying a lot of money assuming that they're doing you know these are important pictures so that they will take a higher degree of care storing them i mean and that's always been the argument with why negatives are so much better than digital is because you can archive and store those away but as I'm saying about these large format pictures of the national monuments, you know that those are being stored as carefully as they possibly can be, and they will survive, you know, outlast probably anything else because the level of care being taken in their um, storage. Hmm. Plenty to think about. Plenty to think about. So, because uh, uh, I can't speak to the listeners directly, I had to ask you both: Do you think that that was a suitable thing for us to bring in from the future of photography? Now you've listened to it and talked about it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think uh, for me, I, I sort of what I was thinking about earlier this um, this week was that idea as well that the future of photography is also about these old processes and techniques because they are a new technology to new generations who've not used them before. So it's just about our perspective on it as well. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And it's and it's just good to hear that you're dragging some proper photography onto your um other woman well so so yes and even better than that uh, because we're going to record something the three of us aren't we that then is going to be uh, uh swapped onto the future of photography so uh you know let's uh yes yeah. so, so that'll show them so that yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes yes <laughs> should i be quite nervous about that no well, I'm not. it's fine it's fine it's fine well i tell you what we like to we like to ask all our guests every week to tell them where they'd like to send our listeners on the internet <laughs> said he shamelessly self-promoting was, I could hear you was, scrolling with your mouse aid, so I was thinking are you just trying to find your website now <laughs> no that that was me no i, I thought, thought me, you, like, no. Right, um, 
I just very quickly because I because I, I couldn't remember the guy's name. Um, the chap who is doing the um, working for the U.S. government, uh, shooting all the national monuments and stuff like that, is a guy called Jarab Ortiz, and there's a really good interview with him on Studio C41 uh, on their May 6 episode, which was I don't know what number that was. They don't give their podcast numbers. Terrible. Get Shock, on that, guys. Shocking. But that sounds uh, yeah. that sounds like it could be really interesting. Yes. Okay. So. Um, well, there you go. That is a show from the Future of Photography. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you did enjoy it, please go to thefutureofphotography.com or just look uh, search for it on iTunes or anywhere else you get podcasts and, uh, and, and have a listen to some more. That was show number 36. Um, and we put them out weekly, uh, me and Chris. So it'd be good to have you along. Thank you. we're back and you know what it's time for another bit of promotion because uh well i don't know about you graham but i want to talk about these analog kits that rachel has launched and uh is now selling oh, i i really want to talk about these and this is a genuine thing listeners i have been nagging rachel to make these kits for months and months and months and months because I want do you know what stop right because... there stop stop this is not about you right <laughs> no 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 we are we are no 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 it's not about you about absolutely me. not about you so, so try try starting that again graham would you like to talk about the new kits that rachel has launched yes excellent wow see how much better that feels no <laughs> all right let's let's cut him out rach right so <laughs> <laughs> So, 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 Rach, how are you doing? Like, now I've been looking at stuff that you've been doing this week, and uh, it's exciting stuff, right? So, so, tell us about it. Thanks very much, Aid, and uh, I, I appreciate also Graham the uh, the support that I know was was there underneath. What Don't you were enable about, him. So. Don't yeah. enable him. Oh, oh, does that make me an enabler? Okay, sorry. Um, uh, yeah. So the kits. Yes, I. It's something that I been thinking about for at least a couple of years um probably pretty much since i started um the business actually so maybe even longer than that um way before graham mentioned them to you sorry way before graham mentioned them to you (laughs) yeah well it's because i had a conversation with him and said oh i've had this idea this is sort of thing that i'd like to do and he was like this would be brilliant i really would like to uh, buy some you should you should do this and uh, and look into it more seriously so um it has been something that's been sort of on the peripheral uh for quite a long time uh for me and uh i really you know it was from a um from a personal perspective but also from a business perspective because as you both know i have you know sort of lots of different streams of things that i do um which is both a blessing and a curse it can be very um uh, very difficult to balance them but equally you know it's lovely because it's it gives me very varied um life which is which is really lovely as well so um the difficulties of trying to uh, kind of keep that ship afloat is uh, is always sort of quite near the surface and um uh, and i thought well it would be a, an extra way of making sure that because as you know i do quite a lot of workshops and uh, events and all these kinds of things they're all very much based on me being available and being able to be there and deliver something um so i thought well actually this would be a different part of the business that i could potentially set up that um i can create a product that i'd be able to sell 
and uh, which would kind of almost be doing a little bit of my job for me and uh, hopefully sending out some little bits of little beams of inspiration you know to uh, to other people uh, which would be really nice and uh, and I've just really enjoyed actually kind of like pulling this all together it's taken obviously it's taken a long time it's it's actually quite a lot of work trying to get something together even if it looks like it's a simple thing um it's all the rest of the stuff that kind of comes with that really um so what I decided to do was um do it as a kind of like mini soft launch if you like uh in person at the make fest festival in uh Liverpool and I thought well I'll take I'll make up a handful of of these kits and take them along and see what the general interest is and um and I sold quite a few which is great and uh, there was a lot of interest people were like oh this sounds great so um it kind of surprised me a lot really um and it was just really nice to uh, kind of feel like people actually were interested in it. So I went home from that at the end of uh, the Saturday um, and thought, right, I best get, I best get my act into gear and um, and try and get something sorted sorted for an online um, way of people per- being able to purchase them because I know that obviously not everybody lives in Liverpool. So uh, it would be nice if other people would be able to also buy them. So. My kit, the first kit that I've uh, launched, or the first product, if you like, is um, called Analog Adventurers Kit, and it's basically a um, uh, something that, sorry, it's basically like a pack that kind of comes uh, through the post, and inside you have all of, well, more or less, all of the materials that you need in order to build a pinhole viewer, so you can sit, see the world upside down and also make your own tests on a bookmark and a luggage label and then move on to making your your first sort of like six by four cyanotype print, some print. So um, what I wanted to kind of do was to bring together two of the, the first sort of elements of photography, um, which is obviously, you know, pinhole and one of the very first um, ways of fixing photographic medium and uh, using those as an introduction to the science and the engineering and the physics of light and photography and and generally analog traditional processes. So I thought that would be something that would be really nice as a gift for somebody uh, or, you know, if there's a photographer that you know um, and equally for any children or teenagers uh, who were interested in the STEM subjects and arts because, as we all know, you know, the really lovely thing about analog photography is that it encompasses all of the STEM subjects, the science, the tech, the engineering, the maths, but also with a very artistic creative output, or it can have. Um, So what I really enjoy about what I do is bringing those together. And I thought, as well as me going out and delivering these sessions as workshops or in schools or what have you, it would be a nice way of um, also people being able to individually buy those and share those and, uh, you know, give them as gifts too. So there we go. That's a little bit of um, a an overview of the kit. Oh, that I mean that, that sounds great. So so if I get one of these kits, uh, mm-hmm. I I open it up, and mm-hmm. inside are lots of dangerous chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, what I decided to do, especially this this is my first <laughs> foray into uh, selling a product. Um, I didn't want to end up selling uh, liquid chemicals through the post and things like that so I pre-coat it all in my home dark room and studio workshop space here um basically I it's um 
uh, sealed pack. So you have um, a foiled sealed pack, which has a pre-coated bookmark, has a pre-coated luggage label. Um, and there's also a sealed envelope, which is like a hand-stamped craft envelope um, card, which has a six by four pre-coated uh, piece of paper inside as well. So they're all dry. Um, obviously, I would always say, you know, if you want to wear gloves, um, non-porous gloves, then uh, feel free to do that. As long as you're washing and drying your hands in between each time you have contact with that paper, um, it's it's not a problem. But uh, if you feel better anyway uh, wearing gloves, then by all means uh, do that. And uh, basically all you're doing is placing objects on top. So I wanted to take out for like I say, for the initial uh, kit, uh, I wanted to take out all the uh, worry over over that and basically say, here we go. The uh, paper's already there, coated and ready. What you're doing is basically designing what you want to the image to look like, the photogram to look like, um, and then to see that first exposure and get a sense of, oh, if you put these chemicals outside, they will react with UV light with the sun, and then you'll end up with a photogram at the end so it's quite a nice easy instant way almost of of introducing somebody to analog photography so in the kit uh, you have those three things that are sealed up and obviously have the information on them uh, which says read the instructions first <laughs> and do not eat <laughs> um and then you also stop have licking all... me <laughs> yeah exactly don't rub it all over your face you know all of these kinds of things um so uh, so yeah so you have you have those and then you also have the raw materials for creating a pinhole viewer so the card and the um semi-opaque paper and um i've included uh, like a little batch of objects for your sunprints and some pegs and some strings so you've kind of got more or less everything you'd need apart from a pair of scissors and a bit of extra sticky tape um so i've even put in you know an extra little bit of electrical um black electrical tape tape uh, because obviously not everybody has that lying around so uh, I tried to include everything that um, people would need to make it that they might not have at home um, but right, okay. I think a pair of scissors bit of sellotape that kind of thing hopefully most people have at home so uh, so, so yeah. what do I do so so I, I get out one of the cards and I find a, a something you put in the in the kit or something of my own and I, yes. I, I rest that or tape it to the card that's been pre-coated and leave it out in the sun just place it on top so you just place it on top it all it also comes in a plastic folder so you can put it inside that as well lay the plastic folder over the top or find yourself a piece of clear perspex or glass um and then lay that over the top to just keep out any uh, any light splashes of rain or to keep the objects in place and yes you just take it outside put it into the sunshine or daylight in general obviously the time for the exposure is different depending on how much sunlight we have at the minute it's brilliant between five and ten minutes and you'll be done mm -hmm. um obviously uh, the normal uk weather you're looking more like in cloudy conditions 45 minutes to an hour that kind of thing so um with with them being photograms that we're looking at really is is my sort of like starting point for this uh, you don't have to worry so much about exposure time uh, you can just kind of leave it out for as long as you need to really obviously if you're working with digital negatives or negatives themselves or what have you then your exposure times obviously you have to you'd actually be considering those uh, but really this is an introductory kit so i wanted to, it to be the most accessible and easiest way for people to get involved in this process um so yeah so i have the little packet of 
um, some objects, um, little flat foil cutouts and feathers and um, um, buttons, little things like that that you can sort of start to to use if you want to. Um, but actually, people already, you know, are already going off with it and going, oh, I've got this beautiful peacock feather. I'm going to use that. Or um, great, like Graham's other half as well. Um, she she, uh, she used a cutout, like a paper cutout that she already had as sort of like a stencil uh, and lay that over the top, which uh, came out beautifully. So, uh, so yeah, so there's, I mean, it's literally just down to your imagination, really. What I really love is using things like leaves and botanical specimens because that was the original um, way that it was used for the first photographic book, as you know. Uh, Anna Atkins um, put put that together um, from you know using botanical specimens, and that was the way that it, those things were then recorded and being were able to be bound into books. So I'm a big uh, a big lover of those kinds of things and it's just about you know using whatever's around and available to you and seeing what interesting fun things you can do with it cool i like that and then after i've played with that i can make my <laughs> pinhole viewer and go and look at things that's right so i actually do it the other way around um so i do it as activity one would be to make your pinhole viewer so you've got that and you can go out and start to see the physics of how light works and then you're moving on from that to going oh okay i've seen this amazing thing i want to now capture that using sunlight and you see the magic of that happen um so uh, you'll build your pinhole viewer first aid usually um and uh, i've got the 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 card and like i say the semi opaque paper in there and everything else that you might need for building that and i've also do, i include obviously a set of instructions which talks you through both activities um and i've been putting together a an instruction video so you get a link passworded link to that in the instructions as well so that you can uh, go and build it along along with me i think i will probably need that video so what, do I, what am <laughs> i looking at with my pinhole viewer why does it have opaque card on it um so it has that because it works as the screen um, oh so it's basically. like a ground glass then that's right it's exactly like ground glass and uh, it's made of paper that sounds like that sounds <laughs> excellent yes that sounds yeah. marvelously affordable <laughs> yeah well exactly like i say this is all about getting people interested in oh how do these old processes work and uh, what the um you know it, that actually you don't need very much it's very simple and accessible um way of of actually being able to see and capture images so uh, you don't need electricity you don't need batteries literally all you need is some paper some sunshine some water um and a bit of black card and you can you can uh, sort of you know embrace that magic really that sounds so, cool do you have you had anybody come right back and say mine's broken the image is upside down and left to front <laughs> exactly um well no i'm very clear at the top of my oh, this is no like say, my first time of uh, of using something like etsy so uh, i was like i'm just gonna make sure it's absolutely clear that this is a a pinhole viewer so you'll you look through it like you would a telescope basically um like a pirate pinhole viewer i'd call it as well rather than it taking a photo so it's not a pinhole camera um actually capturing a photo um but it's a way to demonstrate how it works so that you're able to see an image on that ground glass piece of uh, opaque paper <laughs> uh, that sounds good okay so right um well, they, uh, I was, sounds like lots of fun. And you just said Etsy. So uh, as, nice. as you may have heard, Rach, on, on our show, we like to let all our guests <laughs> tell the listeners where they can go and get access to their work. So oh, thank you very much. Well, I did consider um, I did consider originally thinking about doing a, a Kickstarter, but actually the, 
it seems to be this whole huge world of <laughs> hurt <laughs> um, Kickstarter and uh, like in obviously you know there's some wonderful success stories and uh, people we know who've done some fantastic work on it uh, but it really is you know it's such a lot of work you know um, to to put one of those together and it's not that I didn't want to do the work obviously um, it's just that I've I've got so many other things that I've been you know that I'm still trying to kind of like make happen and make work and things that actually I wouldn't necessarily have the time as a one woman little band that I am um to be able to run a full kickstarter campaign uh, which is a full-time job in itself on my own um so I decided that actually for my first approach into selling a product um I would be better to test the waters and see how things went um if I were to sort of just open up a little Etsy shop it would mean that people could easily or relatively quickly um get on there and make a purchase if they'd like to um they're retailing at 12 pounds just so you know there you go um and uh and it means that i can relatively easily then make those up to order so when somebody is sort of ordering them i can be like right okay um make that up from all the component parts i have um uh, here ready ready to go so uh so yes so you need my etsy um link uh, which... that, that would be helpful <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> or just uh, guess at it just uh, or, type or just some stuff into it. the internet It'll be oh, fine. is that is that right just guess at it okay um it for some reason it's not showing me right if you um if you go to uh if you search for little vintage photo co um that's me and on, I'm just on etsy search on, on etsy. etsy right yeah on etsy for little vintage photo co um i'm just going to check because there's there's obviously like a listing number and i don't want to have to give out like the whole number people will never find it well we'll put but that in the show for, notes so that's yeah fine. exactly yeah. um so if you search for little vintage photo co um that was as close as i could get to little vintage photography <laughs> but i thought it sounds quite nice and friendly um so uh, that that will be me and at the moment there's just the one listing in my shop but i do have plans and ideas for the future um you'll be pleased to know um if you look for analog adventurer kit make your own that should also hopefully take you to me cool uh, well do you know you should, what do you know yeah. what the the energy and enthusiasm you have for this is really coming out in the way you describe it so uh, i know you do this with groups of children and and uh, and adults as well and i know it's a really fun thing for people to do so you know best of luck with it as a as Thanks a new commercial venture yeah, thank you very much, Aid. It's it's a very weird, unknown, and new world for me. Um, so uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it uh, so far. And uh, yeah, I went and packaged up and posted off my first batch of um, uh, of kits today. So uh, that was that was really exciting. <laughs> Right, and we're back uh, with uh, one of our favourite spots of every show, the listener emails. Graham, over to you. Yes, we've got a fantastic slew of emails, um, but, but to prove myself wrong straight from the get-go, Aid, do you want to take the first one from Toby Vanderveld? It's a bit of a hospital pass, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hi, Tobe. Um or, or awesome email i will try and do it justice this so toby has sent us a joke at least oh, is I, that what it is? at least i think it's a joke <laughs> 
He says, what do you get if the Sunny 16 podcast hosts use heavy duty agricultural machinery to drag the Millennium Falcon onto the Death Star? Uh, tortuous pun? <laughs> Close. <laughs> the answer, of course, is tractor beams. <laughs> Oh, it's a tumbleweed blowing uh, past. I knew it'd been dry here lately, but uh, I do love a, a good bad joke. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. Very thanks, thanks, Toby. Thank you. So thank you, Toby. Thanks Always for thinking of us, Toby. Thank you, thank you for for using valuable brain cells to think us up a joke. Um, I, I think that's the first time anybody's ever made up a joke about us. So, well, at least to our faces. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> uh, Okay, well there we go. That's that's the first one. That was nice and easy one actually. So, um, uh, well, uh, how about Rach? Can you do the next email? Um, well, actually, I believe there is an audio message. Yeah, so we'll, we'll slot that in next. Uh, we've got a very quick uh, audio message from uh, Martin, which we'll slot in here. Hello, um, everyone at Sunday Sixteen. Um, this is Martin Scarland. I just thought I'd send you a message. Um, I am in the process of starting to create a darkroom in my back end of my garage on an extreme budget. Um, and I don't know if you'd be interested in how I'm getting on or as I get on with it, whether that would interest you or not. Um, let me know. And, um, if you are interested, maybe I can send you some, some bits of information as and when. Thanks. Bye. That sounds super awesome, Martin. And of course, yes, we would love to hear about your adventures in making up a uh, dark room on a budget. It's something actually which I'm trying to think about now because my home situation is going to be changing in the future, hopefully not too distant future. And I have to try and figure out how to make not only a dark room, but also a living room and also a study all in the same very small space. So that could be very exciting. Um, so, yeah, we'll get in touch with you if we can sort out some way of getting that in the show. Um, Rach, do you want to take the next email from Aaron Alfano? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Aaron says, hello, Sunbeams. I've been listening to the show for over a year, but this is my first time contacting you. I love your show. That's so nice. Thank you. It's certainly the most entertaining photography podcast I've found. <laughs> we'll take that as a compliment. She <laughs> um, says, just writing to let you know that I finally found my Cheap Shots Challenge camera. Today, yes. I picked up a pristine, like new <laughs> inbox Vivitar IC 101 camera for the princely sum of 4.99 this is US dollars wow that really is a bargain um it really is do you know that camera graham is it one well, that you've got i think actually yes it is um i think mine was mint in box as well that's um for some for some for reason, some reason. The, the rubbish <laughs> they come the more likely they are to still be in the box Aaron goes on to say, I managed to get a roll of film loaded into it without breaking anything, I think, and I'm looking forward to submitting for the contest. If you're curious about this masterpiece of engineering or really bored, here is a link to the camera wiki org page on the camera. So he sent us the uh, the little link and I'm sure that Graham will then put that into the show notes. He says, oh. thanks again for the fantastic podcast. Yes, the Vivitar IC101 is um, very much the epitome of the Cheap Shots Challenge camera. Um, it is 
as plastic as plastic can be it is a panorama camera as um it mentions in the name so you get that lovely cropped uh frame on it, framing on it um and uh yeah uh, i think um i'm gonna I'll quickly open this link uh now because I, I don't know whether they're all gold but i know that certainly the one i've got is gold um and i actually uh oh no there's a picture of black when they say come in other colors but gold is the one you want um because it takes better <laughs> pictures and um the one i've got i recently sent up uh the snowdonia um mountain with my son um because i'm like well here's a piece of rubbish that i don't care if you lose off the side of a mountain have fun uh so yeah quality camera uh, it's, yes marvelous well there you go uh, a, a good old uh cheap shots challenge entry hmm it's surprising how many cameras like that do tend to be in boxes and i think it's because people buy them use them once go never again and put them back in the box um anyway whilst we're on the subject of cheap shots challenge the next email is from james james writes to us hey sunnies uh i just wanted to follow up on my entry for the cheap shots challenge so this was um a picture we were talking about recently uh shot on 70 millimeter film do you guys remember this conversation we had I sort of do, yes. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. So this was shot with the brownie, box brownie, and we were debating, oh, is this on old cine film or what is it? Anyway, James has got in touch to uh, illuminate further. The 70mm film I use is not movie film. There is no remjet, nor are there sprocket perforations. 70mm is the width of 116 and 616 film, which is what the Kodak Brownie 2A box camera takes, as well as a plethora of other cameras like the Agfa slash Ansco PD-16 Clipper. There are also 70mm backs for Graflex, Hasselblad, Bronica, Mamiya, etc. Which I had no idea about. The spools are a little scarce and the backing paper even more so. I make my own backing paper out of very thin opaque plastic, buying a very large sheet and cutting long strips, then writing the numbers in the right place for the ruby window on the brownie. It's all great fun doing this and and that to come up with something sort of unique anyway keep up the good work as always love the show james uh that's very cool yeah really <laughs> impressive that that is dedication yet again dedication we had that lovely email from uh from ronnie didn't we about uh which which <laughs> talked us through the whole process that he'd been through trying to get some images and i just love how the uh the listeners really take this on board and and they go for it you know sort of maker creator inventor it's brilliant love it hmm it's, uh, yes. Yeah. It, yes. So I've str- I've struggled with rolls of just bog standard one twenty um, film in a dark bag. When you get them out of the camera and they come out a bit fat, so you know you have to get the you have to get the film out of the camera in the dark bag, and then you have to pull it all off the spool and then roll it up about tightly. That is definitely um, something I don't enjoy. Definitely gives you the film sweats because inside those dark bags <laughs> gets really hot very quickly. Um, to do that to in pursuit of art is definitely a commitment well done james <laughs> yeah funnily enough uh and i, I just like to go and <laughs> sound to be stumbling over things about um i popped into a local um well it's not a second hand it's a kind of a antique place but it's not really very antique uh and picked up last week because it was sat there and it was seven pounds and i had to rescue it a Kodak Brownie 2A box camera, um, which is the one that James is talking about. Now, I already have one Kodak Brownie 2A 
um, which uses 120 roll film, but this one, as James was saying, uses the 116 film. I am not going to be doing what James does. <laughs> I can guarantee that right now. Uh, I had already figured out that um, the spores were bigger, um, so I will be doing a bit of cutting and shutting with um, 120 spools to make spaces, basically, to make it work with 120, because I have not got the dedication to the cause that James does. But, um, what are the, spa- yeah, really what nice are the spaces that they sell on Analog Wonderland? They, they sell some spaces, don't they? They do, but I think they're for shooting um, 35 mil in uh, other backs. I don't know what they do. I know uh, That would make more sense for you. mean for you know, to, to make it the same length as a 120 spool? Yeah, and I also know okay. that um, the uh, FPP have got some different spaces on there as well. So I don't know whether they might have something that would fit that. Um, I'll have to have a look. But um, anyway, yeah. Sort so of, that, it sounds that's... like it's the sort of thing that could be 3D printed if you if you mm. had the dimensions. You know, your conversion from 120 to 616 film space, a 3D print file. <laughs> Said yeah. he who's never done any 3D printing ever and knows little about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we need to we need to make friends with somebody with a three D printer. Clearly, um, hey, do you want to take the next email from Hillary Clark? Sure, sure. Good to have an email from a friend of the show. Hello, Sunbeam says Hillary. I think we're all getting a lot of use from the Sunny Sixteen rule these past weeks as the UK heatwave continues. That is true. I think it's probably the first time in my photographic career, well, what passes for a career, um, that I've actually had a Sunny Sixteen use. <laughs> Normally, it's the sort of vaguely, you know, vaguely sunny. 11 rule isn't it in this country um but uh yeah sounds good so and hillary says and why is there constant sunshine just as i run out of cyanotype chemicals ah oh well rach you can help with that surely yeah absolutely <laughs> hillary has actually put in uh, an order bless her so oh, well, uh, that's you, really nice there you go oh she <laughs> said that's the next thing she puts in her email i put in an order now so expect it to cloud over very soon oh well, <laughs> Um, just a quick email to remind you and the listeners that Roll Film Week is fast approaching. It's run in the same spirit as Polaroid Week. Enthusiasts going a week-long online celebration. Sorry, enthusiasts organising a week-long online celebration of photography, and so 23rd to 27th of July is dedicated to roll film. That's cool. That means 35 millimeter or medium format film, but any camera you like. Sorry, have I read that correctly? That means 35mm yeah. or medium format film, but any yeah. camera so you, like. Okay, so 35mm yeah. counts as roll film, well, does it? Yes. As well? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Oh, that's that what she's saying. Right, okay, so that's a very inclusive thing then, isn't it? It's not just about medium format if you can shoot 35mm as well. Yeah. Cool. Photos can be taken at any time, but should be previously unposted. Upload your photographs during the five days to the Flickr group Roll Film Week limited to two photos per day or post them on Instagram with the hashtag hashtag roll film week. No limit to numbers there. The film community is so creative and supportive. These weeks are always a highlight of the year for me. There's so much great stuff posted. Thanks for the podcasts. Really enjoying them. Love listening to Kate talking about her work and the souping process. Sounds good fun. <laughs> Love Hillary. Thanks Hillary. Uh, thanks for letting us know. Uh, um, uh, I I haven't done roll film week before. I think I've done Polaroid week uh, uh, two or three times, and and that is always a good fun week. So I imagine that roll film week would be just as good fun as well. Either of you two ever done this? 
Uh, again, I've I've only done Polaroid Week uh, in the past because that also includes Instax, doesn't it? And I think that's what Hillary was saying here that actually, although it's called Roll Film Week, it just means um, nothing like four by five or paper negs or you know sort of that kind of thing or instant. It, but uh, but you can use something that's on a roll <laughs> like 35 mil or 120 so um so or yeah 616 uh, if you have any or 616 <laughs> or 127 perhaps we'll come on to that <laughs> yeah it's a good point you know? good point yeah, yeah. so yeah that, that's that's a very accessible thing to get involved with then no, no excuse um no i i like the fact that the photos could be taken at any time but should be posted mm-hmm. during that week so yeah. I, i've recently been out with um my yashika mat 124 which i had a lot of fun shooting and i developed the Roll film from that. I think I've shared one or two pictures from that. I can't remember. Um, but anyway, um, so I've got some pictures ready to go, uh, and um, and I've also got uh, the pictures from. Oh, so we talked previously about uh, the crappy, shitty, uh, shitty camera challenge bleep on uh, <laughs> on Twitter, and and so t- I took out this plastic debonair camera, um, which is a diana clone now this isn't the same debonair i want to make it very clear this is not the debonair camera that the guys at the fpp sell this is a different camera which is a clone of the diana and um i bought this camera right back in the infancy of the podcast and i even talked about it in the very early episodes and i think the conversation was i bought this this is clearly rubbish i'm never going to use this because this is like just terrible so i thought well i'm gonna give this a go surprise surprise i was quite right it is terrible um every single frame you have part of the frame obscured by the fact that the shutter just doesn't clear the frame <laughs> um and also no no nothing approaching focus anywhere um but i've also got those pictures so you know maybe i'll share some of those too it sounds well, like that like sounds either. almost as bad as your Lubitel. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's gone in the same pile as the Lubitel, which is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a dual named um, pile. It's uh, either the crap camera pile or the future prize pile. <laughs> Maybe look forward to winning one of these wonderful gifts in the future. Ah, oh, there you go, giving away all our you know behind the curtain the secrets. <laughs> Uh, okay, we've got one last email. Um, Rach, this one's from uh, Cohen. Do you want to take that? Uh, yes. So um, Cohen uh, says, hey, hey, Sunbeams. I recently returned from a trip to the Faroe Islands. Wow. And besides a bulky Mumia RZ67, I took Glomography's Lacedinia with the historic Saint-Tropez design. Um, for some quick shots when I didn't want to unpack the big beast, because yes, a mummy would be quite a big beast. I loaded it up with some expired Fuji Superior 200 uh, and hoped for the best. My little R was because obviously it was one of my favourite films. That um, Things started great as our connecting flight got cancelled and we had to spend the night in Malmo. Uh, we had one evening to explore the city and I took this picture. So I believe along with the email, there must be the uh, the photo there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on the boulevard, guessing the exposure in the fading light. The second image I took on our second day on the Faroe Islands. It's actually the place we had dinner. I don't necessarily regret taking this camera as it weighs almost nothing and allows you to take pictures quickly, although I wish it was a little sharper. But as I picked it up for five euros at a local flea market, I can't really complain. Bye and thank you for the awesome podcast. 
Yeah, there are a couple of very nice pictures, although um, given the lovely location and the lovely light, I can see why he may have been wishing he'd perhaps taken the bigger lump with him on that evening. <laughs> um, but still beautiful pictures because they were, you know, he pointed them at interesting things, as you pointed out earlier, Aid. It's a, a good way of getting good pictures. It's a good rule, um, that. It's a good rule. It, it, it certainly is. Um, and that brings us to the end of the emails, but also it's a good time to just talk about cheap shots challenge uh which is cracking on through we are halfway through this round and ah, um, ah. yeah exactly <laughs> and i think this is gearing up to certainly be the most um well submitted to round so far we've already had a load of really nice entries um so please do keep them coming in the deadline we haven't announced the deadline yet but you know we've been kind of on a cycle with these things so it shouldn't be too much of a surprise you have a nearly a whole month left in front of fact, i think when the show goes out it will be exactly a month uh, anyway. pretty much Close pretty enough. much so the by deadline a <laughs> by a day the deadline to get entries in is going to be saturday night on the 11th of august uh, and then we will be um judging them the following week uh judge to be announced <laughs> once i figured that out um so do keep them coming in that's theme is landscape as i said we've already had some really awesome pictures coming in um aid you've managed to get a couple of pictures already haven't you you've done quite well you've at least started i have at least started yes i am probably about two-thirds of the way through my first roll of film for this round normally i struggle to get a whole roll done but this time i'm uh, yeah i'm i decided uh uh that I, I well no I I what happened was I remembered so the thing that I have a trouble with is that I have a specific cheap shots camera right and I don't often remember to take it with me but I I for some reason my brain was working and I took it out a few times and yeah so I'm I, I'm uh, yeah I'm out of the traps excellent stuff well I managed to find I was really having to hunt for my camera but I did manage to find it today I found the um, SFX was it hiding with a paper bag on its head what threw me what threw me off was that I'd actually put it in um, the one new camera or not new but the um, one like fancy camera bag I own which came with my digital camera it's one of those um, what's the one to begin with B Bingley Bungley, Bing, Bradford and Bingley. No, anyway, the, you've the, got the, you've you know, got a Billingham bag. Yeah, that's it. It was in that bag, which is obviously the last place that I was going to look for that camera. Completely for me. Like, hang on, if my digital camera is just sudden and side catching dust, what's making this heavy? Um, so I've now found myself in the position where I've got this camera uh, with the um, thirty-six exposure roll of film, which is too many exposures. Uh, I have got my infrared filter on it which is super dark red um which means that even in bright sunlight i pretty much need to have it on a tripod uh this is very impractical (laughs) i don't know when i'm going to find time to shoot this because really i want to be shooting it towards the middle of the day to get the best out of it and i don't really have a lot of opportunity during the middle of the day to be out and about shooting with a camera on a tripod but uh, to make me feel better though how are you getting on rach Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, uh, no, just no. No, I've, I'm afraid. I'm really sorry. I've let a side down here, but it's uh, so far it's not happened. So it has been really nice hearing what everybody else has been up to and really inspiring, actually, um, because especially, you know, the people who have re- truly embraced the challenge part of the Cheap Shots Challenge which it sounds like you are as well, 
um, Graham, with what you're saying there. Uh, but unfortunately, no, I've also had zero time to go out and actually get shooting with my cheap shots camera. I know where it is, at least. So, you know, one up there. But um, but no, I've not been out um, and shot with it yet. So uh, I have my month to go and uh, I'll just... At this point, I'll just try and make sure that it's not the night before. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's as good as I'll be able to do. I will try my best. Seems like a very good idea. And you wanted to mention, Rachel, whilst we're talking about events going on, mm. one, two, seven day coming up again. Yes, that's right. So J.M. Golding, um, who has obviously written into us previously, uh, she'd mentioned that one, two, seven day, the second part of one, two, seven day in the year is coming up, which will be the 12th of July. Uh, which is actually on Thursday. So that's the day that the show comes out. If you want to know more, it's 127film.blogspot.com. And that tells you all about uh, what's going on. There are three days that are classed as 127 day in the year. So there's January the 27th, which actually Graham, yourself uh, and, and and I were actually together that day, weren't we, in Liverpool. Uh, then there's July the 12th, which is obviously this Thursday. And then the third uh one two seven day is december the 7th okay so uh it's basically it's an older older format that obviously we don't have around so much these days um but it's uh, it's another nice one to to get involved with so uh, yeah if you have a little look at that website again we'll pop that in the show notes i'm sure that you'll be able to do that won't you graham I can probably just about manage that. I forgot to mention <laughs> earlier, with the Cheap Shots Challenge stuff, obviously send your um, two favourite pictures in to uh, 7016podcast at gmail.com. And if you can't remember that, don't worry. Just go to our website, 7016podcast.com, and um, there's a little contacting there, and you can just do it all through that very easily. And a few people have sent stuff through that, so that works quite nicely. Cool. Okay, which I think you're right, Graham. I think actually does bring us to the end of the show, doesn't it? Or if you've got one last thing you want to tease. Yes, just want to tease for next week. Next week, we are having a return visit from our uh, friend Paul from Analog Wonderland. Uh, and Paul is not coming alone. Um, now, he was supposed to have started teasing stuff about this already, but he hasn't. So I have no idea how much I'm supposed to give away. Uh, but also, I don't care very much. So I'm simply going to say that Paul will be joined by a film manufacturer. Uh, and that film manufacturer is a gentleman coming from Kodak. Now, why is uh, a gentleman from Analog Wonderland joining us with a gentleman from Kodak? Who knows? But I suspect it will be something that you will want to tune in and listen to because whatever's going to happen, you will actually hear about it here first uh, on the Sunny 16 podcast. So be sure to be tuned in next Thursday to get the hottest of hot scoops of what's going on there. So we've got a world exclusive being launched we on our podcast exclusive. Next, next week. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty good. Impressive. Okay, well, let's hope you haven't given away too much and scared them off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should message it, Paul, now and find out. <laughs> uh, it, it will be fine, but yeah, people people should be excited about this. It's it's a cool thing that people will want to hear about. So, tune in next week, listeners. Tune in next week. Well, I I, I can't beat that for the end of the show uh so i will just say uh have a look at our website sunny16podcast.com email us sunny16podcast at gmail.com and pretty much anywhere else on the internet sunny16podcast uh i can't better it 
so I won't. Uh, thank you, Graham. <laughs> listen to everybody. Listen in next week, everybody. And we will play you out right now uh, with Rachel's band, Rocker, uh, whose album promises I should have kept. You can find on Spotify, Amazon or iTunes. It has been an honour and a privilege as always. Um, hope you enjoyed the Future of Photography show that we put in here. Um, and we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.